for GateWorld.net. I am David Reed, and I'm here at Cheyenne Mountain Entertainment. Like every other day, except this particular day, I'm uh, with uh, Mr. Josh Kurtz, world builder for Stargate Worlds. Josh, welcome. Thank you. Hey, David. How you doing? I'm pretty dang good, sir. And yourself? I'm doing all right. It's a good day. It is a good day. It's a Friday. <laughs> it is. Overall, um, what does your job involve? Um, I'm the lead world builder for the uh, Stargate Worlds project, and uh, basically, it encompasses a number of things. But the very lowest, at the very highest level, what it covers is uh, managing the tasks on the world building team and managing the people on the world building team, um, making sure everyone has uh, has their tasks and what they're doing, um, has everything they need, all the tools and other things they need, um, and then uh, making sure all the different tasks get done, all the different jobs, all the worlds get built, um, we get the designs done for them, and uh, I take ownership of a lot of those high-end uh, world decisions. Okay. Now we're talking when now we're talking worlds, we're meaning environments and characters within those environments. Uh. Yeah, it kind of covers everything from, um, you know, a world is more than just a space that you play in, but it does encompass the spaces you play in. Uh, it's the environments that characters interact with and adventure within and and play around in and move through um, but it's also the it also involves the NPCs that people interact with mm-hmm. and the, the the monsters people attack or the uh, the Jaffa or the Asgard that people encounter mm-hmm. um, all of those things have to be placed and my team kind of handles placing those things and making sure they work and interact right and all that okay okay uh, tell us about your background in the uh, gaming industry in the gaming industry the gaming industry <laughs> Been in so many industries. Um, gaming industry. I started 2000, I believe, mm-hmm. um, at uh, Blizzard Entertainment. Ah, Warcraft. Uh, yeah, actually, I started as QA on Diablo 2. Okay. Um, and uh, I started as a uh, an analyst on Diablo 2 and worked with them on that project for pretty much till its completion. Um, and then I moved up to. Um, kind of a senior position in the QA, um, kind of a lead tester. And uh, then I moved up from there actually very quickly. I was only there for a couple of months um, before I moved up to uh, World Builder for um, uh, World of Warcraft. Okay. So the the initial World of Warcraft release, you were a part of that. Oh, yeah. When I joined the team, myself and three others from uh, QA and support kind of moved up into the, the level design, world building positions. Um, and at the time, there were maybe 12 other people on the team. Okay. It was very small. You could fit the entire team into a single conference room. Wow. Um, and small conference room. And you know, we used to have birthdays or get taken out to uh, <laughs> Hard Rock Cafe and uh-huh. make the guy whose birthday was stand on a chair while we all sang to him. It was kind of fun. <laughs> Did you guys have any idea how successful that game would be? Um, no. Okay. And uh, you know, we all knew that it was fun. We all played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as early as Alpha, we all played it and we enjoyed it. But there was, there's always the question sitting in the back of your mind: Is this game going to be? Is it going to? Is it going to work? Mm-hmm. Are we going to do as well as EverQuest? Oh, are mm-hmm. we going to do as well as as Moo or uh, Lineage Two or mm-hmm. Lineage One or you know whatever? Um, there's always that question: Is what we're doing what people really want to play? Mm-hmm. Uh, the game may be perfect and may function really well, and right. it may be fun, but will people pick up on it? Well, yeah, and you know we could sit there and play this thing all day and love it, and it goes out the door, and maybe a hundred other people love it. Yeah, and that would you know that would suck, but you know it turns out that it was a great game, and a lot of people really enjoy it. So, okay. 
this project, though, Stargate, is coming out a lot faster yes. uh, than WoW was. Yes, it is. The timetable for release, I mean, there, we're, st- we're just starting to say na- see now the possibility of, of at least a beta coming out around a year from now, pro- possibly more. Right. Um, I actually we'll have no idea when a beta will come out. Okay. Um, we really want to hit certain milestones before we even say, hey, beta, woo! Right, exactly. But, uh, not sure. What you what you say sounds right, but okay. I couldn't verify. Okay. Uh, is the project, is Worlds bigger than World of Warcraft in terms of uh, the what you've got to produce in order to get it to come out? Um, are you talking land space or I'm talking just everything? Work? Is it? I mean, you guys took what four years, five, six, seven, close to five, five yeah. years, and we're compressing that time. What down to three? Yeah, about that. So, is this what I'm getting at? Is this possible? I think for it the is. Staff that we have. Um, I think it is. I, I'm obviously my team. I'm still looking for more people. Okay. Um, so with the staff I currently have, I'm a little off my schedule, but. Uh, I'm looking to fill a couple of those slots, and and then based on the schedule that myself and the production team have put together, I think I think we're on schedule to get it done. Um, I'm not I'm not worried or stressed about it. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> How familiar were you with Stargate before coming aboard? Oh, a big fan. Really? Uh, oh yeah. I uh, I went and saw the first movie in theaters probably three or four times, um, and then when it came out on VHS, I bought it. And then it was one of the first movies I bought on DVD. <laughs> and uh, I didn't actually watch it to begin with as a series because I didn't have... Uh, was it HBO that it was Showtime. on? Showtime. Showtime? Yeah, I didn't have Showtime. I had Cinemax and HBO, but no Showtime. Ah. And um, so I didn't get into it till it moved to uh, um, network TV. Okay. And then I started watching it. And then they started showing back episodes, and I started ah. watching those. And Sci-Fi okay. Channel picked it up, and I've been watching it ever since. Wow. And then I get a TiVo, and it made it a lot easier. So you continue to watch? Do you continue to watch the show as a fan, more as a fan, or more because you have to watch it? Um, I watch it as a fan. Um, I I don't do as well with watching something because I have to. Yeah. Uh, it tends to make me very. It tends to uh, attract the analytical part of my mind. Oh, I have to watch this. There must be something interesting that I can see. But it loses the creative, passionate part of my mind. So the fact that I was a fan to begin with really helped. Mm-hmm. Why is this franchise compatible for a multiplayer online role-playing game? Um, I think there's a number of reasons. I think one of the most important ones, though, or most obvious ones, I should say, is that if you watch Stargate, the entire series is a group of four people who get together, um, they sidle up side by side, and they walk through that gate to another world to accomplish some kind of adventure, um, and we watch it on TV, and then they come home. Right. And that encompasses a couple of things that are huge in MMOs. The first one is uh, the group. I yeah. mean, every MMO out there has some form of grouping. Some of them only have grouping. Uh-huh. Um, and that really is part of, of SG-1, the series and all Stargate, um, is that that small knit group that gets together and, and goes through this gate to unknown things and has to depend on one another and stand up for one another and I think that that's I think it ties in really nicely and the other thing is that when you turn on the show at the beginning of the show they go through the gate they go to another world they have all kinds of adventures at the end of the show they come back and they're home uh, and that's usually the case at least early on it was and that's also very similar to MMOs in many ways. You and your buddies log online, uh, you go out, you do all kinds of adventures, have all kinds of fun, finish quests, missions, kill monsters, get fat loot, and then come home at the end of the day, log off and go to bed. And uh, so 
it is very similar, and it's a you know it's also if you look at SG One as, as an entire series, they're always in this quest for gear, right? Yeah. At least early on, it's always yeah. to get the technology to protect themselves from the Gould, and then the technology to protect themselves from the replicators, and then the technology to protect themselves from the Ori, and you know it's like, well, there's your tier one gear, your tier two gear, well, you know whatever you want to talk mm-hmm. about. It, it's it's kind of funny and. I don't think it's all that intentional as a as yeah. a correlation, but I'm amused every time I think about it. You know, Sam Carter and and Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson and Teal going through the gate to get fat loots so they can protect themselves from the from the uh, from the ori or whatever. So it's really compatible then. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. All right. Is there anything unique about working on this particular project compared to the ones that you've done before? Um, well, there's always lots unique when you when you move to a new project. It's usually at a different company, and so the entire way the company does things is different. All of the people you're working with are completely different. Mm-hmm. And people have opinions and thoughts and ideas, and everyone's are different, and everyone's are valid. And so you really find yourself working with people who do things differently or know things differently, mm-hmm. work things differently. And so everything really is very unique. Even if you were to, I think that even if you were to make the exact same game, at two different companies with two different teams of people, your experience would be completely different and the entire process would be completely unique. And as a result of that, the exact same game would mm-hmm. come out completely differently mm-hmm. because of those opinions and those thoughts. So I would say that's the biggest unique thing is just the people I'm working with and the way they think and the way they want to do things and you know the ideas people throw out there. It's really impressive. Tell us about your team. Um, I've got a fairly small team uh, of world builders. Um, all of them are very talented. Um, some of them are fairly new to the industry. Some of them have, have done it before. Uh, I hired one of the gentlemen I worked on uh, WoW with, uh, Bo Bell. Um, he's one of my world builders. And uh, just hired on an, uh, another senior who um, has been working in the industry for a number of years. Um, so I've got a very talented team, and uh, they know what they're doing. I'm very impressed with their work, and, and very they're very capable. I feel like I can hand them any number of things and they'll just take it and do amazing things with it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the coolest parts is I can I can take what I have from art and from content mm-hmm. and say, okay, we have a forest world and I can say, here, you know, come up with this forest world and man, when, when one of my world builders does that, they come back with maps and this and that and it, it takes on just this whole life of its mm-hmm. own. It's very interesting. It's okay. very cool. Okay. What are the, some of the challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis? Um, well, building worlds is really... One of the things about it is it's it's at the back end of a whole lot of processes. Um, you have content design, systems design, um, you have programming, you have art, and all of these people have a say into what what everything looks like, what mm-hmm. everything feels like, how everything plays. Systems has a lot of interest in in how the game plays. Content has a lot of interest in uh, you know what the worlds are and what's happening there. Um, programming has a lot of interest in what's on the worlds and, and how you're building them because they have to make all that happen. Right. And the art team has uh, a lot of desire to see it come out looking in a certain way. Um, and so to build a world, we really need all of those teams to get all their stuff together mm-hmm. and bring it to us. And we're really mm-hmm. the back end of all of those processes. So once all of these people have finished their tasks and their work, they bring it to us, and then we take all of that and we put it all together to create the final thing that the player sees. Right. And so one of the one of the biggest challenges we face is, 
you know, it's a milestone-based project, and it's in the games industry, and there's always things slipping. You don't foresee something happening here or there. And so when it gets to world building, there may already have been some slips here and there. It might already be pressured for time. So when, by the time it gets to us, it's really, you know, our schedule is really tight. Yeah, it sounds like almost everyone wants a piece of you in some way or another. In How do way, you stay yeah. on top of that? Uh, communication. Yeah. If you're not talking to people, <laughs> it's all over. Yeah. You know, it happens... It happens sometimes, but, you know, you'll be working on something that's like, no, no, I wanted it like this. Then you have to go back and figure out where that lack of communication occurred and fix it. I think we've got great communication on our team here. Um, we, we're all talking to each other. We, we talk with the programming team. We talk uh-huh. with the art team. We talk with the, you know, we sit in the same room with the systems and the, and the content people. And uh, my world builders every day are talking with the, uh, uh, the content people about the worlds and what the story is and how that ties to you know, how it looks. Because how a world looks and how it, what the story is, go hand in hand. You can't mm-hmm. just throw a couple of hills down and expect people to get that there's a war going on here and it's mm-hmm. been going on for 15 years. Um, you need to do things visually to give players that impression. The moment a player steps through the gate, we want them to see and know what's happening. And maybe not exactly what's happening, but to get an impression of what's happening. You know, they might they may not know that uh, these Jaffa invaded this planet 15 years ago, and there's been a war going ever since. But the moment they want, walk through the gate, we want them to realize there's a war here. This is a battle zone. There are ruins. There are smoking craters. There is something going on. Uh, and you have to do that visually because otherwise we're just throwing text up on the screen. We're back to the days of Zork. So, I mean, I love Zork, but. You get what that. I'm talking about, but I'll, I hope there's also like an el- audio element to that. Oh, there is. We have a we have an audio designer who's very good, and uh, he's got some really cool stuff. And uh, every time I walk into a zone that has been given an audio treatment, it's really cool because it mm-hmm. adds that element that makes you go Ooh, sends little shivers shivers down your spine. Yeah, it's not placeholder music. This is the stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is what it's, it's like, made wow, of. Wow, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> what software do you use when you're developing your worlds? We use a lot, uh, actually, because anything that we can get our hands on that makes the whole process faster and easier for us mm-hmm. is a benefit. Um, you know, it is a project. It does have a timeline. We do have an end date. Um, so we kind of need to get these things done quickly. And so we need to hit that quality that we want. We want the look and the quality of story in the time frame we've got. And so anything we can use to make that happen is, is beneficial. So we use... Um, everything from uh, Photoshop and Word and stuff like that to do initial design labs where we write up what it what mm-hmm. we want it to be or we draw out maps of what we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we use uh, uh, SketchUp as a, as a program and we take, uh, we take that and we build out areas um, to kind of get quick, quick rough looks at them and see you know, how they're laid out, how we think they're going to play. Um, SketchUp's a great program. It lets us create little slideshows that show off entire scenes from whole different angles and it's completely in 3D and it's very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, even people who aren't very technically inclined or artistically inclined can just go in there and bust out uh, really interesting 3D structures very quickly. Um, and then we use uh, World Machine to create uh, kind of generic landscape models so we can use it to create eroded hills or mountains or cliffs or valleys or really any kind of landscape um, formation that you might see in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, you go out there and you see these plateaus with the eroded dirt down the sides, and we want to capture that. 
Um, and so what, what World Machine lets us do is it allows us to create that kind of thing. It allows us to say we've got this plateau and we want a little more erosion or a little less erosion or we want a deeper valley or we want a higher plateau. And we mess with that. And then what, once we've created this template of what we think looks really good, um, we take it and we use a, a program called Mudbox. And Mudbox. Mudbox, yeah. It's actually an art program um, that they use to apply height maps to models. And it works really well. And what we use it for is we take this height map that we create in World Machine, which is a, a black and white height map of what we've created with the erosion in the hills, and we can then paint that really anywhere we want. We can scale it, we can size it, we can shrink it, we can grow it, we can add filters to it, and you know, copy, paste it, do whatever we need to in Mudbox mm -hmm. to create our our final height map that we then import into the, the program to give us all of our terrain. Pretty much right out the door, we have a good 80-90% of our terrain done. Wow. Um, you know, and wow, that kind of thing took us four to six weeks. And with our process through World Machine and Mudbox, it takes us maybe a day or two tops. So it's the same level of quality. My gosh. Yeah. One of the things that I always wonder about is texture mapping. Do you get to go out there and photograph stuff and then bring it back in and paste it on objects, um, skins, or that's how more does that texture work? For the art, that's more a question for the art team because, okay. uh, you know, if you go out there and take a picture of something and you bring it back, it creates a definite style for your game. If I take a picture of a cliffside and paint it on a cliffside, that creates a style. Um, and that style is very photorealistic. And many games use that style. Um, our game has a, a little more stylized of a look to it, and Howard's been doing just some awesome stuff with our art and making it look stylized yet still capture Stargate. Mm -hmm. And um, so what we do is a lot of our textures are hand-painted, then we get them and paint them on that terrain. Um, uh, we're okay. using a slightly modified Unreal 3 engine to actually paint textures on terrain and apply static meshes into terrain and um, do all that kind of stuff. Um, and then once that's done, it's, it's ready, for, uh, ready for prime time. What do you take into account when initially designing an environment? Where does your department come in? Like I said earlier, we come in kind of at the end. Um, I mean, okay. not totally at the end. That's when yeah. we start working on it is at the end. But our, my teammates are involved from very early on. Uh, content will say, hey, we want a world that's like this. And they'll sit down with the world builder who's been assigned to work on that world and um, they'll come up with the, what the world is, and they'll sit down together and talk about what they want it to be, what they want it to kind of feel like, what they want going on there, what events, history, and all that stuff. So we're involved from that level. And then the first thing we do is we take that information and we start creating a design layout. tells us what the environment is. Is it a forest? Is it a fall forest, a snowy forest, a coniferous forest, a deciduous forest? Um, is it a jungle? Does it look like the island on Lost? Does it, uh, <laughs> you know... It, all that kind of stuff. What kind of people live here? Do mm -hmm. they have a culture? What is their culture? Mm -hmm. What kind of economy do they have? What kind of animals live here? What kind of ambient animals? Uh, violent, aggressive animals? Are there aggressive animals? Um, what do these people feel about the world they're on? How do they feel about the players? Um, all of that really comes in at that initial phase, which is all done on paper. Uh, and the reason is that you know, when you do it on paper, it's very easy to iterate. You can, you can write it down a thousand different times, and it takes a lot less time than if you go in and build the whole thing, and then go in and build the whole thing again. Right. So we try to nail out as much as possible, as fast as possible, on the paper phase. Okay. Um, and that's kind of where, where we start on it. And then once that paper phase is done, by then we've got concept art, and we've got um, a full idea on what this world is supposed to be, and we can actually start building it. Okay. Can you share anything about the uh, original planets that are being designed for the game? Um, they're really cool. 
Okay. Um, the thing I like, uh, the, the one thing I'm going to share about them is, you know, any show or movie has a budget. Yeah. And is limited on what they can do. Yeah. Because, and not just because of budget, but because if you take a bunch of actors and you put them on a stage or you put them in a scene, it has to look right, it has to light right, it has to be right. Because once you use real people, everything has to look right. Right. Well, in a video game space, because it's a video game, there's, you know, people kind of give it a little more suspension of disbelief. They kind of say, well, it's a video game, I'll let them get away with a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And when you have a stylized art style, like the one Howard's coming up mm -hmm. with and developing, it gives you even a little bit more leeway. And then you take that and you say, well, you know, it's not going to cost us X amount of money to fly all of our actors yeah. to Zimbabwe because we don't have to fly anybody. Right. So it allows us to build these spaces completely from our imaginations uh, without having to, to shell out all that to fly people around or get craft services, or, <laughs> you know, li licenses or, or permits to film there. And, and then on top of that, they usually have to go in and CG all of that stuff to right, make it look even exactly. more un you know, unusual. And we just get to go into our, our Unreal or our 3D Studio Max or whatever and build uh, pretty much anything we want. Right, but you're limited in other interesting ways. I mean, right. if it's a set that what you get to build, it's a facade. Yes. In this game, you have to completely build everything from the ground up and yeah. be able to view it from all sides. Right. One of the things about an MMO that you don't run into with other games is that, um, you know, in some games you, go, you, you run through this fairly linear experience. There might be a couple of ways through it, but it's fairly linear. You go from point A to point B, there you're at the end, you go on to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, but with an MMO, you have to be able to go everywhere. And so when you see a tree, you have to be able to run up to that tree and look around to the other side of the tree. When you see a building, you need to be able to run up to the building and look around the other side of the building. Um, so yeah, all of that goes into it as well. But it, it does give us a great amount of freedom with the kind of worlds you go to. We can have lava flows, we can have... Uh, you know, upside down waterfalls. So we can do all kinds of crazy things, funky things that you really can't do without millions of dollars in CG work. Right. So exactly. Where do you see yourself going next, or do you see yourself staying on board through the expansions? Uh, there's an interesting thing that happens when you work in the games industry for a little while. Most game companies, you people bounce around a lot, and if you talk to people who've been in the games industry for a while, they bounce around a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And you know, you get to a certain point in your life where you have family and kids and a wife and you want to buy a house and you want to have, you know, a TV in the, in the bedroom that you can watch and, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. and stay put. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I hear people say, oh, I'm going to move on and I'm going to do this and I'm going to go, I'm going to grow and I'm going to, you know, I just, I want to be stable, you know, so the longer, the longer I can stay here and do cool games and build cool things for people and, you know, the longer I can do that, the happier I'll be.